Welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Chris Brown. For more information on our church, visit c3church.narara.net. So it's the summer of Psalms, and we're looking at um, different Psalms. Next week, we'll finish this series. Ruth's got a psalm she's going to preach about. Today, uh, I'm going to um, look at Psalm 119. So if you have a Bible, turn there, and you will know, uh, if you know your Bible, that this is the longest psalm in the Bible, and um, it, uh, it may have been written by David. We don't know for sure. Some scholars say it was um, uh, possibly Ezra or Daniel, you know, but, but most theologians would agree it's, it's probably David. It doesn't identify himself, but they say it's his style, and it's a good guess anyway because he wrote about half the Psalms. You probably know he, he didn't write all the Psalms. Um, there's about half attributed to David, other Psalms to other people like Moses and David's son Solomon. Uh, and there's about 50 psalms they're not sure of the authorship, and this is one of them. But what we are sure of is ultimately God's the author. He's got scribes, people inspired and led by the Holy Spirit to record something that under his direction and inspiration gets brought to us hundreds and thousands of years later for our uh, benefit. Um, now, when you read this psalm, if you look at it, you'll notice that there's little uh, words appearing on a regular basis. In fact, it's every eight verses. And they divide the psalm neatly into 22 different parts, or you could say stanzas in a poetic way. There's eight verses in each. So if your maths is good and quick, you'd realize that that's 176 verses. And we're not going to read them all today. Uh, it's, as I said, the longest psalms. Uh, but that, those little words, they're letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And they wrote them, uh, they think, to help people memorize the psalm, put it in 22 sections because it's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, and so that's explaining what those little words are. You can learn the Hebrew alphabet while you're learning the psalm. Um, and, of course, the theme of this psalm is the word of God. It praises God's word continually. It exhorts us to love his word, to revere it, to obey it. It outlines the blessings that come from following it and warns us with negative consequences for people who disobey or disregard the Word of God. And there's eight different words used in the psalm to describe the Word of God. One of them that appears a couple of dozen times is the Hebrew word Torah, which you may have heard of. That is translated law into English. And you know the Torah is still used to describe the first five books of the Bible, which is all that the author of this book This psalm, perhaps David, we'll say David, but whoever the psalmist was, that's all they had to go on in that time. So it's interesting when they talk about loving the word of God, they had just the first five books. We've got 61 more. So all the more reason that we should appreciate, love and learn from God's word. And uh, there are seven other words used to describe the word of God in this psalm. And they're translated into English, usually uh, testimonies, precepts, commandments, judgments, statutes, sayings, and instructions. And depending on your translation, they may have another word or two that they're you know, trying to put into a maybe more modern 
vernacular language. But whenever you see those words appearing in this psalm, and you see them a lot, they're talking about God's word, the Bible for us. And um, as I said, it is quite a lot because there's only two verses in the whole psalm that don't describe or make some reference to God's word. It's all about the word when you read this psalm. Um, And then also in the psalm, there's constant reference to how we respond to God's word. So the word heart is used a lot because the psalmist is saying, oh God, I've got to have my heart inclined to your word. Uh, I want to I get your word into my heart. I want to love your word, not just read it like a textbook or understand it intellectually. And then the other word that keeps coming up in response to the word is the, um, the word pathway or, or just the word way. In other words, the word provides a path or a way for us to follow if we respond, if we go in that direction. So let's look at the first stanza, the first uh, eight verses. And uh, as I said, we're not going to read the whole psalm, but these first eight verses are really good because they capture a lot of what is um, spoken of throughout the psalm. So if we read from the ESV version, oh, it's up there for you. If you don't have a Bible, you can read it on the screen. It says, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. So you can see how often he's talking about the word. In all those different words, it's still the word. The statutes, your ways, your commandments, your precepts. And as I said, it's a bit of a summary of the whole psalm if you just look at these eight verses because there's a blessing awaiting people who do pretty much three things. The first one you can see there is the heart. They've got to seek the Lord with their heart. And he's doing that. He's got this prayerful devotion, this lifestyle connected to God. Again, the Bible isn't just a textbook. Sometimes we say, oh, it's a great manual for living, but it's more than that. It's it's a living manual, if you like. It's it's alive. It's, it's, it's engaging our hearts with God's heart when we read the word and, and it draws us closer to him in relationship. You find that when you read the word, especially if you pray beforehand. Remember Derek Prince saying this. He said he always prays before and after he reads the word. And if you don't, you can read it quickly and lightly and it can be just a little bit like a, a textbook. And, but if you pray and ask God to speak to you, the word comes alive. And then you pray afterwards, the word becomes applied. And you can pray, God, show me what you have to say and how can I apply it to my life? And so we find God really speaking and it's a living word. And the psalmist is feeling that when he's, he's writing this. He's praising God, saying, wow, these words that you speak to me from, it's like nothing else. You know, I mean, I get excited when I read the sports section if I went to bed too early and missed the cricket score or whatever and oh yes my team won or yeah oh and uh, or am I the other come on give me a, a bit of help here you know come on or you uh you know you can read a, a gripping novel 
you know, Tom Clancy, you know, dun, 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 and it's all got to turn the page. It's all, you know, there's a lot of stuff you can read that's, you know, cool and interesting, and, but there's nothing like this book, yeah? Uh, so um, people are blessed if they, I said three things. Number one, they seek God. Number two, they attend to the word. So they read it. They learn these laws, ways, commandments. And then thirdly, they actually obey them. <laughs> There's a bit of a difference between knowing what God says and actually doing it. Uh, they, they are going to be blessed and we are going to be blessed if we uh, are following the word of God. And this leads to what the psalmist says, there is an upright life. Now that doesn't mean we're perfect. No one's perfect. But with God's help, we can live in a generally godly fashion glorifying God and uh, of course David or the psalmist here knows that he needs God's help to do this that's why he says God do not forsake me I love that he's honest and humble enough to know that he needs God's help and that's a really good place to be I find Aussie men particularly struggle with that with the humility required to say I need help I was you know I didn't get it right right and I you know I really need God to help me Um, but notice also on one hand he says God don't forsake me I need your help but also he takes responsibility for what he can do because he's seeking God and he wants to live the right way and follow God's way so you know ultimately our righteousness or or the right way to live, it's provided for us by God, of course, through Christ. Jesus has made a way for us to be forgiven, to, again, not be perfect, but to be on the, on the road of recovery, on the mend, under construction, we say. The Holy Spirit sanctifying us, you know, helping us to overcome sin and, and live a better life and build godly character qualities into our lives and all that. And so Jesus made that possible. But we've still got to uh, be responsible enough to take that step towards him and to, to cry out and be humble and hungry for his ways to come into our lives. And so there's this two-way relationship and engagement that you see in this psalm. In fact, right throughout the Bible, um, it, you know, again, this psalm is, is really a, um, all the psalms, is a lesson in prayer, a, a, a pattern for prayer because the psalmists are sometimes venting, sometimes reaching out to God, but always with a uh, an awareness that this connection with God is important and that's available to us all through prayer. Um, so, yeah, they're blessed and the word, it just keeps coming through. They're blessed because God's given us commandments, precepts, Ways to follow. If we read on, um, look at the verse, just the next one, verse 9. It says, how can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? What I want to do, I should have said, is, is just to stop at a couple of different points throughout the psalm. We're not reading every single verse. We don't have time. You see that? How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Or perhaps your Bible says, by obeying your word. Well, my extensive research as a biblical scholar has led me to understand that there wasn't an internet back when they wrote this psalm. Uh, And so that has uh, 
been an issue for young men to grapple with in recent years. But notice that even back then, uh, young men still had to deal with temptation and to respond to God's call to live with purity. And not just young men, not just old men, all people. Uh, And notice it's possible with God's word leading us and protecting us. And so this is, uh, this is powerful, especially for young men, because young men need to try and work on keeping their way pure, and young women as well. Uh, obviously, the implication there is sexual sin, because within marriage, God's got a great environment for that to be enjoyed. Outside marriage, not so great, not his will, not the best uh, for anyone involved. And... Um, and, of course, the temptation these days is to succumb to temptation and, and in doing so saying, well, it wasn't really my fault because it was so great a temptation and everyone else is doing it and uh, what more could I do? And, well, you remember perhaps 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, no temptation has overcome, overcome you except that which is common to man. It's not unique. It's not, oh, no, you have no understanding. This is just too hard. I can't. And in fact, in the rest of that verse says, God will not only help you in that situation, uh, he's faithful so that he won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But in the temptation will show you and provide you a way out so you can endure it. Bit of a paraphrase, but you can read that for yourself. First Corinthians ten thirteen. So temptation, uh, you know, we shouldn't be victims and have that mindset of a victim and saying, oh, it's just too hard. I can't help it. And I'm not just talking about young men or sexual sin. You can, you can be tempted to sin in, in lots of different ways, just by being uh, lazy or, or gossipy, uh, selfish ambition, unforgiveness, gluttony. You know, there's a lot of, lot of options when it comes to sin. It's quite a range, plenty to choose from. Uh, and you don't have to work hard on it. You've just got to let the flesh rise up, you know, and just, gee, what do I feel like doing? Oh, you don't even have to have a, an appointment with the devil. I mean, he'll help if you've got no ideas, but usually within us we have quite a few ideas just bubbling just under the surface. Uh, and that's what Paul writes about in Romans 6 and 7. You know, oh, what a wretched man I am. He's the great apostle, and he's like, oh, I've got this stuff that I don't want to do, but I do it, and then I, I know I shouldn't be doing this, but I, it's a challenge. But, of course, the answer is Christ as I said, he doesn't just forgive us for sin, but he will empower us to overcome sin. So we don't have to just throw our hands in the air and say, oh, well, I guess I'll be saved by grace, but I'll sin along the way. Well, that's just not great theology or practice. You know, It's uh, uh, better to press in and overcome. Uh, and we don't have to, as I said, have a mindset of a victim, which is very prevalent in our society now. It's not my fault, it's the government, it's the council that, you know, didn't put enough signs to warn me not to jump backwards off a rock into three inches of water and so I hurt my spine and, you know, someone's got to be made to pay and, you know, we've got to be responsible and part of that response in God's eyes is, is to respond to the word, you know, and that's why, how can a young man keep his way right? Well, by attending to God's word, it's right there, we have the word of God. We have this opportunity. Let us be responsible to read and attend to God's word. Amen? Now, if we move on, look at uh, verse 18. This is worth stopping at. Love this verse. 
says, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things. Everyone say wondrous things. Look at the person next to you and try and be excited and say wondrous things. Wondrous, wondrous things that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Now, a lot of people don't find the Bible to be a wondrous thing or they don't find wondrous things in the Bible. They might think of it as just a bit boring or just a, a, a list of do's and don'ts. Uh, like, like it says, law, even the word law. So I don't like laws. I'm Australian. Aren't we against all laws? I just want to break the laws. Uh, well, God's got some good laws. Um, and, and we can find some wonderful things in God's word. It's a wonderful thing to follow God and to follow his word and to find, you know, some eternal, life-changing, exciting, wonderful stuff. Uh, and sometimes there is a finding, there is a searching to find. There's like gems in a, in a mine, you might have to go digging uh, for the gems, because let's face it, it's not every time that you open the Bible that something leaps from the page and there's a voice from heaven and oh, angels and trumpets. And, oh, wow. You know, sometimes you can read and read and wow, okay, genealogies. And then that guy did that and then God killed them. And all right, well, he's an idiot. What do I learn from that? What a stupid thing to do there. And oh, okay, you know, and you, you know what I'm saying? You read the book of Ecclesiastes, you may not be leaping out of bed going, Woohoo, I'm so excited. But there is something to be learned in every part of the Bible. Every word is inspired by God. And so we may just have to dig. Uh, And how do we dig? Well, there's one thing we can do, and you're going to figure out what it is when I read several verses from this psalm, Psalm 119. Look for the common word. Psalm 119, verse 23, and perhaps they'll pop up here as well. Yes, even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Verse 48, I will lift up my hands towards your commandments, which I love, and I'll meditate on your statutes. Verse 52, I meditate on your age-old regulations, O Lord, they comfort me. Uh, verse 97, oh Lord, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Verse 99, are you getting it? I have more understanding than all my teachers for your testimonies are my meditation. Smart aleck Christian kids in Christian schools um, sometimes come up with that if they've been reading their Bible. Um uh, and, uh, and so, finally, Psalm 119, verse 117. Sustain me and I will be rescued. Then I will meditate continually on your decrees. Then I will meditate. Did you hear, see the word that I've been trying to get you to notice? In all those verses, the word meditate or meditation. And, um, and of course, that's something that came up early on. Byron preached on January the 1st from Psalm 1. And it said, blessed is the man who... Loves his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law or in the word of God, he meditates day and night. And so, let's just think about meditation for a moment. Of course, when you hear the word meditation, maybe you think of a Buddhist monk or someone at a retreat up in Byron Bay, you know, Eastern mysticism, just, um, you know, emptying the mind which can be quite dangerous, to be honest, because there's some dark spiritual forces and thoughts that can come in to those empty places. And um, 
I, um, I'll tell you another day, maybe I have in the past, but I lived for a couple of days in a Buddhist temple in Thailand once, a long, long time ago, and uh, some interesting things go on. Um, but God's form of meditation is very healthy and very productive because the focus is God's word. It's not emptying the mind, but it's filling the mind with the right thoughts, thoughts about the Lord, about how wonderful he is, about his love for us, about his grace and his purposes and his love for other people and his character and the qualities that he wants to build into us and, and all this stuff. It's all very helpful and healthy. And so you can read the Bible and it's great because you can get an overall idea of the message. You can study the Bible where you get a concordance and you dig deeper and you look at the background and the different translations and the context of the passage and all that. But you can also meditate on the Bible. And the meditation that they meant when they used this word in the Bible, uh, could be the, the Hebrew word could be translated murmur or mutter as well as ponder to imagine to think so it had this twofold meaning of in the mind and also in the mouth in the heart but also in your speech because they would literally go around memorizing God's word and muttering it saying it quietly now I'm real old school in terms of teaching because I was a qualified teacher and I Still am, I guess, a qualified teacher. I, I, I was once qualified, but then I became disqualified. No, 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 I wasn't disqualified. I, I'm a teacher uh, by trade originally, and I love rote learning. But it kind of went out soon after I even went to school. By the, certainly by the time I went to teacher's college, it was so old school. It was derided, terrible, rote learning, you know. And the new math was all in. It was like, let's just set kids to play with mud and figure out how much mud there is and work it out and just it'll all come to them. And, uh, and, uh, but I, I'm good with mental arithmetic uh, and times tables because I sat there in third class and fourth class, seven, nine, 63, 11, 12, you know, 132. And, and you, some of you more senior people will appreciate uh, and your kids may be astounded that you don't need a calculator to actually figure out a simple arithmetic, you know, uh, sum of additional multiplication, particularly with the times tables, you know. Uh, but that all went out, sadly, um, uh, even though I've persisted in my, on the home front to at least get my kids and the little boys since also. And there's some rolling of the eyes. We don't do that anymore, Dan. Yeah, well, I don't care. Yeah, this is how you anyway. But um, they did it back then, and, uh, and there is something powerful uh, about verbalising something. You do remember, you do learn. It might be boring, there may be other ways to learn as well, but if you meditate by memorising and uttering scripture, it is not just saying something and losing it, it's speaking it somehow back into your world, into your heart, into your life, your spirit, and it gets in. Uh, and so it's really good to actually do this, to memorize and reflect on and think about. And, and listen, the fact is we're all meditating on something. You know, we're all reflecting on something. It could be problems at work right now. You could be thinking, oh, I've got this issue I've got to attend to tomorrow. It might be something positive. You're looking to buy something and you're thinking and scheming and researching that new piece of clothing or gadget or car or whatever. It can be holidays, planning holidays, can be uh, relationships, 
you know, infatuated. I hope they love me, you know, and I wonder if that person likes me. And if you're married, hopefully that's your spouse you're thinking about, you know. Um, and of course, there's one kind of meditation that we're all affected by, and that's worry. At all, at sometimes, we'll all worry at some point about something. And, uh, you know, money and relationships and the future and career and friends and health and all this other stuff. Because uh, worry is just meditating on something negative, something that may happen. So we can easily get preoccupied with unhelpful things and we want to get preoccupied or let our mind be occupied by God's word. And, uh, you know, in the military they use the word occupy to take a hold of some country and some territory and we want to do that in our mind. Let not the wrong thoughts occupy our mind. Let God's thoughts take up a military position, you know, a strong position in our mind. Um, and uh, I heard a preacher say this, that, um, you know, when we meet people, what do we tend to ask them to find out about them? What do you do? You find out their name, they say, oh, what do you do? Uh, but I heard this preacher say, you know, um, if you really want to know where someone's at in the next five or ten years, where their life is heading, don't just ask them what is their occupation. Ask them what is their preoccupation. In other words, what are you thinking about? What are you continually returning to? Because that's determining where you're headed in life. Your thoughts are going to reveal what you're really focused on and where you're taking yourself. Um, and he said it this way, he said, your occupation will determine your income, but your preoccupation will determine your outcome. And I thought that was cute. Um, and so, uh, you know, you can read so many things, you know, there's posts and tweets and the news and it can occupy your mind with all kinds of stuff. In fact, I asked a good friend to recommend a couple of novels to read over Christmas to switch off over the holidays and uh, these were award-winning novels that I read, Booker Prize winners, modern, brilliant literature but they were so depressing. <laughs> I mean they were really well written. It's true they were great in one sense oh, but I just had to read God's word just so I could enjoy the holidays, you know. It was like okay, I better go back to the novel because it's kind of fascinatingly depressing how people think, you know, so it was a reflection on the world and how people are operating. Oh, but I needed to get God's word to give me a lift to, you know, find, and then I was reading Ecclesiastes and no, 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 it wasn't that bad. But, you know, it's the same with music. Music is very powerful. Um, look, I'll finish in a second, but let me just tell you, just yesterday at the gym, I had this funny thing. I got these little iPods. And I had a couple of them because I lost one and bought another one, then found the original one, lost the second one, you know. So the one I've got at the moment is the old one. It's got old music on it. So it's got old 70s rock, which never goes out of date anyway, so I'll put it on the new iPod when I find it. But the um, it's got Michael W. Smith, and he's getting on a bit. It's beautiful worship music. So I'm listening, and I'm at the gym on the treadmill, and uh, Michael W. Smith, uh, open the eyes of my heart, Lord, I want to see. You know, this beautiful worship. And he finishes one song. Now, it's, it's random, right? So the, it goes from one song to another. It's not like a whole album. So it's going all over the place. But at the end of one song, he's introducing the next song. But then the next song could be any song, you know what I'm saying? Because it's going to skip. But I'm not quite aware of that. So all I know is I'm running along, you know, 
and I hear him sing this beautiful song and he finishes and he, he talks a bit between his songs. He says, you know, we just love the Lord and I just want to be in his presence and sometimes you just want to put some music on in the car and just focus on the Lord and, and this next song is really just about the heart of worship and I'm really touched because I think he's got a great spirit, you know, he's a great guy and written some beautiful songs and I hadn't heard this for a while. So, And of course you need every bit of inspiration when you're sweating away, so I'm drawing in it. All. So he says, so just... You know, enjoy this next worship song. And then, eh, baby, oh, you've left me. Oh, what the hell is going on? And we, we broke up. And why, baby, baby, where are you? And it was um, some song by Foreigner back in the late 70s, you know. And I can't remember the song, but it had all the classic cliches. Like good screechy Lou Graham, if you remember, he was the singer. And, and I thought, and so part of me is like, Michael, what are you singing? You know, because it felt like it was his song. He did the intro and the next minute, it took me a moment to realise, this is not Michael W. Smith, you know, and this is not worship uh, and, and, and this is wrong, you know. So look, it's not all wrong. There's nothing wrong with listening to pop songs, but it did, it was just a funny moment because I realised that is pretty weak, you know, because the highest call of worship, the highest call of music is, is to worship the Lord. Like we sang this morning, something about, a, a, you know, you're the song in my heart. You're the reason I sing. And, and it's the best reason to use, word, the best usage of music to bring us into God's presence and lead us into that uh, uh, encounter and awareness of God. And I just thought, how insipid. You know, these guys back in the day made millions of dollars, very popular, but they're just singing, baby, we're breaking up. And, yeah, you know, and I thought, yeah, it's pretty weak, isn't it? And so um, that's why one more verse, a couple more verses. Psalm 119 verse 54 says, your decrees have been the theme of my songs wherever I have lived. I reflect at night on who you are, Lord. Therefore, I obey your instructions. And this is how I spend my life obeying your commandments. You see that? So he's, the word of God is his inspiration for the song in his heart and for, again, it probably was David because he was a songwriter and that's the best source of inspiration he could get for his songs. Um, well, look, there's so much more to say, but l- let me just say a couple more things here. That he says, uh, look, I'm obeying your commandments. I- I- there's something in God's word for every situation you'll face. If your finances are tight and tough, well, you follow God's word. You tithe, you give, you proclaim God's promises. All your needs are met. It's going to work out. You're sick, you get into God's word again. There's promises for divine healing. You wonder about serving God and how you can minister for him. Well, Ephesians 2.10 tells me that he's got plans made specially for you to follow. You're upset with someone. You feel hurt and resentful. Well, Jesus says in the Gospels, you can forgive them, bless them, even if they hurt you and overcome that feeling. You feel lazy or slack or, well, you read the Word of God, it will inspire you to live life to the full and to live for Him. There's every situation you can think of, there's something that will address it. Let me finish with one last verse from this psalm, and it's probably the most well-known verse from this psalm. Verse 105. And it says, your word, God, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Isn't that awesome? And I would encourage you this year to let God's word show you where you're at because it lights up. It illuminates, sometimes in an 
uncomfortable way where we're at, but it also shows where we can be and where we should go. And, and we can make this year a year of the Word of God where we meditate on it, feed on it, hear from God through it, and obey it. And as you look through this year, you can see not just problems or your ideas, but you can envisage and hope and believe for something that comes from God's Word, that is inspired by God's Word in your family, your health, your life, your career, your ministry. And let's face it, the size of our vision shouldn't be determined by anything but the size of our God. God is God is big. And the issue is is not who do I think I am, but who do I think God is? And so in terms of your ministry, our, our impact on the community, in our church life, don't limit yourself just by saying, what can I do? But think, what can God do? And what is God saying through his word? Amen. hope you have enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.